is online. Call in your real ghost story now at 855-853-4802 or write in at realghoststoriesonline.com. You're about to enter the world of the unknown and quite possibly the undead. This is Real Ghost Stories Online. Today, a special four-legged visitor brings more than just happiness to one family. Kindergarten is a confusing time for students, but one teacher finds herself confused when there's suddenly an extra student. A night in Gettysburg proves to be a little too much for one paranormal investigator. And three members of the National Guard spend a night in a hotel that raises more questions than answers. Those stories, your calls, and more today on Real Ghost Stories Online. Tony and Jenny Bruski joining you once again. Hello. Hello. How are you today? I think I'm better than you are. Yeah, you are. I'm not sick. You're still battling the same crud, though. It's that damn scurvy, I'm telling you. Yep. Gonna Ouija it away. I don't think so. I wonder if anyone's ever tried to do that. Ask the other side to make a... And I'm not saying like praying, you know, to God to make something go away. That people do that all the time. I'm saying trying to summon like ghostly entities to get a cold or something like that to uh, to leave you. I would bet just about anybody's tried everything at least once. Well, that works. So probably you know, not. Ouija so coughs. You know, like little, you could sell them like little, uh, uh, like Altoids type tins. You know, so the, the tin looks like a Ouija board. <laughs> yeah, and then it's like. You know, Ouija away, cold remedy or something. Yeah. Great. <laughs> and you just drive your little out, or you uh, move your little Altoid around. On the yeah, the Altoid or whatever, the, the which is the cold medicine, quote unquote, is the uh, the, the thing for the Ouija board there. The, the planchette. The so <laughs> there you go. New product right there. And somebody's going to send us a picture going, up. Oh, already exists. Sorry. Uh, so yeah, let's go to, uh, we got letters, we got calls. Let's try doing a letter here first off. I'm going to take another fine sip of this delicious cold drink. And I offered to try reading stories too. You want to try reading stories? I'll try reading stories. What do you want to read? I don't care. <clears throat> the computer's over here. Well, we can switch. You want to come over here and read a story? I'll come read a story. Here, I'll just, I'll, I'll I can tilt it. And if you can, if you can adjust your chair there. Okay. Jumpy writes in, I'm getting addicted to your show. It's so amazing, and I have a story to share. This happened when I was a youngster, still in high school. My sister found a few kittens in our backyard, and we thought it was cool at first, but those little kitties were too small. We had taken them to a pet shop who told us to have them put to sleep, but then we took them to the vet, and they told us to take care of them. We had to buy bottles for them, like baby bottles, but for kittens, and keep them in the house. When there was a cat outside that wouldn't leave, we left them in a box with a blanket because we knew it must have been the mom cat. But she carried them to another spot in the backyard. We were leaving food and water for the cat, but it was mad. So we left it alone. We found the kittens again because they were meowing all the time over the weekend, and we found out the mom cat was hit by a car. I and my sister were not supposed to have pets, but we took care of them in the backyard. Only one of them died before they were big enough to be alley cats around the neighborhood. One of them was friendly, and it would follow me in the house, while the other cats ran away. I called him Gatto, because that means cat in Spanish. My mama called him Garfield because he was orange with stripes, like the cat on the Frisky cat food box. But he wouldn't listen to you if you called him Garfield, so I and my sister would call him Gatto. 
I liked Gatto because he was my he was an outdoor cat and never went on the furniture unless you were sitting there and he'd only sit on your lap or if you were in bed he would lay next to your pillow I liked him more because he would leave the house when he had to take a dump and we never needed a litter box he also liked the mice in the backyard and didn't scratch us so I always tried to make him feel welcome to go in the house and would buy cat food for him We thought it was strange when he was meowing at my mom all morning. My dad got mad and made her leave Gatto outside, and since that day, Gatto was meowing all around her all the time. We thought he wanted food, but he walked away from the food we gave him. He kept meowing all the time at her, and nobody else, but it was not a mean way, just begging. My mom went to the doctor and was diagnosed with benign form of breast cancer. I and my sister told her that Gatto was trying to warn her about it. I don't know if animals can smell those things or have other instincts to notice if you're sick, but I think that he was warning her. She had the surgery to remove it, and Gatto stopped meowing at her after she came home from the hospital. I think the cat saved her life. You can say what you want, but I think this cat returned the favor of us giving him food and letting him in our house. Or maybe he remembers we fed him when he was a kitten. Gatto would show up sometimes, but he wasn't around too much by the time I graduated high school. I don't think he died, but he must have found another home somewhere else. We like to think that he found more people who might be sick and is saving their lives, like some, of the, like some type of superhero cat. I wanted to share this story because that cat was really special to me and my family. I'm sorry it wasn't a scary ghost story. I still love your show and hope your show continues to be great, and my next stories will only be the scary ones. You and Jenny are the best. And that's where the uh, the cats uh, the next story the cat shows up and it eats the other pets and now it's really dark. <laughs> but I think cats can sense things. I think all animals can sense things. Yeah, I think they have a lot of abilities that we don't know that they have. Yeah, that they can actually you know tell us. Uh, they know and they're trying to tell us. You know, their their way of communicating sometimes may just simply be row 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 it's kind of like the meow mix ad um, or you know humping your leg but they're trying to tell you something or humping your leg humping your leg I've never seen a cat hump cats hump I've never seen that cats do that well I figure they do because otherwise there wouldn't be more kittens but I've never seen you know how dogs will go after your leg I've never seen a cat do that cats will do that too really yeah I had a female dog and a male cat and they were in love and I'm not even making this up and this little dog she was the female and the cat was male and she would hump him. And he would just stand there and let her. And they were inseparable. The cat would hump the dog? Yep. The female dog would hump the cat. Was it consensual or was the cat raping the dog? No, I'm pretty sure it was consensual because there was no noise, no fighting. It was just weird. Or was the dog crying inside? And did the dog like really later come and confide into other dogs going, the cat raped me? No. <laughs> No, because it was the dog raping the cat, if it was rape. But they would do that on the deck. And I'll never forget, there was this one time we were trying to sell our house. And these this little animal orgy was going on on the deck. <laughs> and the realtor even said, you might need to put them away or something. And I thought I was doing good by putting them in the backyard while the house was being shown. Yeah. They were really giving a show. Yeah. I've I've seen that before, like where you're, uh, you know, I've been in a house where they're they're having the showing and the, the animals are are humping each other. What's really disturbing is when that's going on and they get really kind of like at the end. I saw one of the cats put his cigarette out on the other cats. Should we go to a call? <laughs> Let's go to a call. 
<laughs> That's great. <laughs> you gotta watch out for those pets. 855-853-4802 is the number. Hi. Hello, this is Luke from Minnesota. I've uh, called in a couple other times and shared experiences, but I've had just a couple of other possible brushes with the paranormal, and I thought I'd go ahead and uh, share one of those uh, today. Um, this was back in 2005. I was hanging out with a group of uh, friends one night, and somehow the topic had turned to the paranormal. And uh, one of my buddies, I'll call him Steve, mentioned that he had a bayonet that he had bought, I think, at like a flea market or consignment store or something. And um, he said that he thought it was somehow cursed or haunted. And I asked him what he meant by that. And he said that, he said, I don't know, I just get a bad vibe off the thing. So it was uh, a few nights later, uh, we were going to go and hang out at my place. And we were in Steve's car, and he said he had to stop by his house and just pick up a few things. So stop by his house, um, uh, me, another buddy of ours, and Steve. Steve ran inside while we waited in the car, and he came back outside. When he came back out, he was carrying that bayonet with him, and he handed it to me. Um, he said, hey, there's a bayonet I was telling you about. So he handed it to me. It was in a sheath, and on the uh, by the hilt, there was a, kind of a leather strap, and so he handed it to me the car window I brought it into the window and as I did it swung down and nailed me right between the legs and um, of course you know Steve and my other buddy got a good laugh out of that and I was like yeah you're not kidding this thing is cursed you know and it was it actually did though there actually was enough weight behind it that it kind of hurt but I blame that on clumsiness and gravity so um, anyway uh, when we got back to my place we are going to go in and I think play video games or something and um, you know, I got another, Steve, uh, for some reason insisted on bringing the bayonet in with him. And you know, I kind of took another look at it and it was, you could tell it was older. Um, it was, I, I did got a little bit of a funny feeling off of it, but I just attributed that to the power of suggestion. Um, otherwise I actually thought it was kind of cool. Um, like old, it was older, some a collector might like. Um, I just looked online and. I think it might have been, from memory, I think it might have been a Korean War era M5 bayonet. I'm not sure about that, but it was definitely older. Um, anyway, uh, when uh, it was uh, breaking up and Steve, was, Steve uh, went to leave, he walked downstairs, and I lived in an upstairs apartment. He walked downstairs, and I kind of called, hey, don't forget your bayonet. Steve was like, uh, well, I'm already down the steps, so I'll, uh, I'll get it another time. And I'm like, well, really, do you want me to run down? And he's like, no, no, just I'll, I'll get it another time. You know, I kind of knew what he was doing, and I was like, yeah, you wimp. You're going to make me hold on to it because you're afraid of this thing. So, but uh, he left, and I put it on a shelf and didn't really think much else of it. Uh, to be honest, I didn't think there was really anything to it. Uh, I thought he was just being maybe a little overzealous of wanting to think there was something paranormal or or whatever so he left and uh anyway uh you know he would come by every so often you know we we hung out fairly often and every time i would try and get him to take this bayonet back and he he always kind of refused he always had some excuse not to so anyway uh a few months later i uh I was 
at the time I was renting an apartment for my the the apartment I lived in. I was renting from my sister. It was the upstairs of her house. And um, she put her house on the market, so I had to move. So I found another place and was going to move, um, boxed up all my stuff. And I recruited another buddy of mine, um, I'll call him Mike, recruited him to come and uh, help me move and offered him a case of beer. So he uh, agreed to come help me move. And when he uh, came and we were uh, we were getting at the stuff, he... Uh, asked me um he said, are you gonna miss this place and i said well i said to be honest with you i've always been a, for some reason i've always been a little creeped out by the bedroom here i said um so for that reason i'm kind of glad to be moving i just never uh, was comfortable in my bedroom for some reason i had a hard time getting a good night's sleep i just felt like someone was watching me so anyway we were uh we were up there we were working and we were moving stuff out and he uh, passed by a box, and this was the box that the bayonet was in. And I boxed that up, too, because I'd become kind of the adoptive owner of it unwittingly. And he stopped, and he's like, hey. He's like, I think I know why you were creeped out in this place. I'm like, uh, why is that? He's like, I think it was that thing. And he pointed to the bayonet that was in the box, and he kind of kicked the box away. Like, he, he seriously didn't like the thing. And I asked him, like, well, what do you mean? And he said, I don't know. That that thing is creeping me out, that, that knife that's in there. He's like, I don't like that thing. And now, one thing to realize is Mike and Steve did not know each other. Mike was a friend of mine from work. He and Steve, they never met, they never talked. So this was not the power suggestion or anything. He just got a bad vibe off that bayonet. To the point where I was like, I kind of was teasing him with him, like, like, oh really? You like he wouldn't touch it. Um, I tried to get him to take it in his car because you know we were. I had a truck and we were loading up all the heavy things into my truck, but throwing some boxes into his car. And he was like, no, no, he wouldn't. He did not want it in his car. He wouldn't try with it. I tried to put it in his car, and he got like mad at me. He didn't. He didn't appreciate my joking around with it even. So I moved and. Brought the bayonet with me, but the next time I saw Steve, I forced him to take it back. And I was like, I wasn't taking any chances because uh, Mike, who or anything like that, getting a bad vibe off of that thing was a little too much for me. A little too much coincidence. So, I, uh, uh, yeah, that's the story. Um, anyway, uh, a little postscript to that, I was just at a Halloween party at uh, Steve and his now wife's house and uh, I asked him if he still has that bayonet and he does he says it's in his garage and it's uh, you know underneath a few boxes and buried in some stuff so I don't know if he thinks that'll kind of keep the, the bad energy out or whatever but that's the story and uh, really enjoy the show thank you bye It'd be difficult if he had something that was of value or some sort of historical significance to get rid of not for me. Really? No. If it had value and historical significance, it'd be easy to rehome it. Well, it's one of those things where, like, if, if it's, like, been in your family a long time and you want to, you know, if there's not, like, really, truly a, a, a huge paranormal thing surrounding you, just a lot of bad vibes. And, you know, kind of like this story where it, it, it's 
they're not, it's not like there's apparitions that are showing up around the bayonet and, you know, but everyone who gets in touch, comes in contact with it, it's like, eh, something's odd about this thing. See, that's the thing about my house. My house is a place where I can choose what's in it and yeah. what's not, and I don't want to have stuff that kind of creeps me out around in my house. Well, I wouldn't, like, like bring it in, you know, if it's something that you don't already have. I'm saying it was, like, one of those things, like, you may not even realize you have. You're going through boxes or something, and it's like, oh, and then you were, oh, this was, like, great-grandpa's or something, and it's been passed from generation to generation to generation, and it creeps the hell out of you, you know. All those generations of passing is something that is of significance. That would be difficult to get rid of. Yeah, it would be because it's a family heirloom. Yeah, I'm not saying like you picked up at a flea market and it's like, oh, it's kind of creepy. No, that I get rid of, not even thinking. Yeah, I don't know. I still, you know, I'd be like, okay, how many generations is this going to stay in the family? And what, you know, what good is a bayonet? Zombies. Yes. When zombies come, it is helpful. It is helpful with zombies. You're right. No, I, I still don't think I'd want it. No, you think you'd get rid of it even if it was like a family type thing? I think I would. Just uh, the, enough people saying, yeah, I got a bad feeling about that would be enough. Well, I'd probably be one of those people getting a bad feeling from it, and I wouldn't want it. That's true. You know, I I don't just, I don't get really attached yeah. to things even when I should be I just don't I there's a lot of times that I'm just like oh well that goes in my clutter category now so it's I do gone. I get attached to things you get attached to ridiculous amounts of things but I get rid of them I'm good at getting rid of them now after I hold your hand and we go no, through the box together I I I got rid of my don't break the ice game <laughs> I've been very proud of you getting rid of a lot of stuff in the garage. I found uh, that. Because the thing is, like, my mother brought us boxes of of all my old toys because she's never gotten rid of, like, anything I've ever touched in my entire life. From, like, cereal toys to... McDonald's toys. (laughs) Well, McDonald's are, like, a a paid... We, like, I collect those. Um, I actually have a box of unopened. And those I save, I'm going to retire I put that no that's bullshit I put that in the same category as the people that save the bags from Disney because they think those no, are no, that's be worth totally different I mean, no. there, there's like a whole collector thing for the McDonald's toys there are millions of those toys out there how well, yeah if they're open but the, I've like from as a child I would I would I wasn't getting them for the toy I was getting them to have a it's like a coin collection and I, I don't have them here I think it's the box is still at my parents house but that's that is a collection of things that's very different than just like oh random shit in a box it's junk no it's actually quite valuable if you look up some of these things then you should sell them i do plan on selling them someday <laughs> i i just don't see anything from mcdonald's having that much value you'd be amazed some of the the happy meal toys like from the 80s and 90s are actually quite valuable uh if they're like in pristine condition you're gonna be haunted by all the people that have died because of big macs <laughs> i wonder I wonder if that happens. I don't know. Murder by Big Mac. Murder by Big Mac. Yeah. Annie writes in, Hello, I'm a new listener. I stumbled across your podcast and looking for something scary to listen to for Halloween. Now I'm an avid listener. My story begins in 2007 when I became a first-time kindergarten teacher. There was a small girl in my class. Every morning at 9, all of my students would go to the gym for physical education. So I used this time to correct workbooks. Not much later, from the corner of my eye, I saw this little girl come back into the classroom without looking at her. I asked if she forgot something. When she didn't answer, I looked at her, only to find no one was standing in the room. 
Later that day, my then three-year-old son was dropped off at the school just before home time. After all of the students had left, my son was playing with Legos, and he suddenly looked across the room towards a chalkboard. Got up, grabbed a ball, threw it towards the chalkboard, and said, Catch! There was no one else standing in the room that I could see. That evening, in the long drive home, I asked my mother-in-law, who had worked for the school for 13 years, if any of the students had reported seeing spirits in the school. She said yes, and that they had reported seeing a little girl. My blood ran cold. I worked in the same classroom for seven more years, but haven't seen her again. At what point, even if it's been seven years and you haven't seen her again, do you finally feel comfortable that you won't see her again? Never. Yeah, I don't think I'd ever feel comfortable either. At some point, you just kind of know. Schools in general, even like modern schools, I find a little eerie walking through the halls when there's nothing going on. Yeah. You know, if you were going to you know, like a, anything, like an after school activity or something or... Um, you know, everybody's like in the gym or something. And if you're just going to like, especially like when, uh, me and Harpo walk around or something at one of, uh, Libby's events and the school's pretty much empty except for where they're at in the auditorium. That's eerie to me. It is. Is it just the, the lack of people in a place that should be full yeah. of people? I, it's like an, it's like an abandoned mall. Uh-huh. It has that same weird feel to it where you just you're so used to seeing it active and full of you know energy and then to not have it. And I think it's just more of a perspective thing because you're so used to it in one perspective and it happened to the different perspective is kind of alarming. I think that's really all it is. But it adds to it when it's a really old school. Yeah, I could see an old school giving me the creeps anyway, but I I don't have that problem. I'm totally fine to be in a place that should normally be full of people that's not. I'm fine being there. I'm just making an observation. (laughs) I I enjoy going to these places Mm -hmm. that are are odd. Um, I love going to abandoned malls for whatever reason. I really think that's neat. The same with schools. I mean, abandoned. I did that video at uh, that one abandoned school. couple of like a year or so back and that was that was creepy but i loved it it was just it was odd mm-hmm. you know especially when you you come into classrooms and it's you know all kind of abandoned and ripped up and then you find things that were reminiscent of things you had as a kid or were in your classroom like there was a balance beam in one of them that was carpeted uh-huh. and he, i remember those it was like you know so we took a two by four and you know carpeted it and then they kind of propped it up and then they made a balance beam for the kids to, to use and it was that color of carpeting of you know kind of puke green and orange i remember that color and it was like wow i remember like that being an activity in first grade or preschool or kindergarten or something and there it is just sitting in this abandoned school you just think of all the, you know, the memories that people do have of this object. And now it's just going to be destroyed and torn down. Yeah. It's kind of sad. It is kind of sad. But uh, interesting, nonetheless. Uh, Brandon writes in, hey, guys, I've been investigating the paranormal for over five years and have been to some really interesting places in the time span. I have a very open mind towards the paranormal, but uh, I'm the type of person that needs to see or experience something to believe it. It drives me nuts that people try to get... Uh, try to pass great stories as fact. I'll be first to admit that I truly like hearing ghost stories even when they are made up, but would rather know that it is nothing more than a work of fiction from the beginning than to be told that it actually happened to someone. The encounter I have for you happened during an investigation in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. I specifically took a trip there with the group I investigate with to hit some of the better-known locations, but happened to stumble upon a museum that had just opened up called the International Museum of Spiritual Investigation. 
The museum was very small, and it was a house that was standing during the Battle of Gettysburg. But honestly, the house itself was the best part of the museum. I was able to speak with the owner of the building and get the rundown of the history of the location. During the war, the Confederates took the town of Gettysburg and in turn took the house. The family that occupied the house at the time was a doctor, his wife, and their daughter. During the battle, they were unable to flee the location and were forced to spend three days in their basement while the battle took place out on the streets in the surrounding fields. They'd sneak up in the middle of the night to get food and did their best to stay hidden. The doctor later died in the house well after the war was over. He was the first death in the house. Other deaths include a gentleman with a Civil War reenactor, who was a Civil War reenactor, who owned the home in the late 90s. A child was also killed in a carriage accident right outside the house and a young girl who lived in the home in the 1900s. The young girl died of some type of disease, but I cannot remember what disease she had. The owner had said that there was a lot of activity in the house and asked if my group and I would like to investigate it. We jumped at the opportunity and came back later that night after the museum closed. When we first walked in that night, I noticed that the air was very heavy and by no means sensitive or anything like that, and the feeling was actually noticed by everyone in the group. I also noticed that the chain or pendulum grandfather clock was swinging, but honestly thought nothing of it and chalked it up to a draft. This, of course, was not the case, but at the time it seemed like a logical explanation. It wasn't until the night unfolded, and we actually tested the theory of airflow moving it, that we found that the chain was very heavy and took a good amount of force to move it. Ignorance is bliss, though. And at first, we ignored it, set up our equipment for the investigation. After we set up, we split up in two and twos and separated. We started to hear noises and movement right off the bat, but being in an old home that we were unfamiliar with, it was hard to deem any of those sounds paranormal, even if, in fact, it were. Old homes settle, and we obviously weren't able to tell a normal noise from one that wasn't. Four of us decided to go into the basement, as we were told that there had been some activity down there. We started with an EVP session and also set up a K2 meter to try and get some interaction with whoever it was that may be willing to communicate. We were sitting in the folding chairs that were set up down there when my brother asked the potential spirits down there to make a sound to let us know that they were with us. There was a big pile of old wood and metal and a large pile behind where we were sitting and right after the question was asked, we heard the pile shift and a piece of metal hit the ground. It was pitch black down there, so all we had was light from the flashlights that we had brought. My brother got out of his chair and walked towards the pile and asked for another noise, hoping this time to actually see something move. As soon as he asked the question, we heard something hit the chair that he had been sitting in. It was as if someone would have flicked the chair with his finger. The noise was a loud ping. This was really creepy, but at the same time, a little humorous, because whatever it was down there was clearly screwing with him. About ten minutes after that happened, the vibe changed, and we all started feeling a little sick. We thought it was best if we left the basement and went upstairs. As soon as we did, we felt fine. It was the first time that I'd experienced a physical change like that. I wanted to make sure it wasn't anything natural, so... Once I felt okay, I quickly went down and made sure it wasn't a fear cage. For the listeners who don't know what that is, a fear cage is a place with extremely high EMF leaks that can cause you to see or hear things and make you feel sick. It can be caused by old or bad wiring and numerous other things. 
There was nothing down there, though. The feeling couldn't be explained away. We'd gone around the house and done some EVP sessions and were actually taking a small break. And we all of a sudden heard what sounded like little footsteps run down the hall. What's cool about this is that it was picked up on a recorder I had left on. At the end of the footsteps, there's a static noise. A little voice that said, hello. We didn't know this until the next day when I was reviewing the audio, but it absolutely froze me. It was the best EVP I'd ever picked up, but also had tone to it. You could tell it was a curious little kid just saying hi. This EVP is what really finally proved to me that there is something else out there after we leave this life. It honestly blew me away. I wanted to share the EVP with you, but the recorder it is on does not have a USB port. If anybody has a way that I can somehow transfer it to something that can be plugged into a computer without losing too much quality, please call or write in so I can uh, try and share it with you. The last event I want to cover from the house is the bathroom. Originally, the bathroom was a bedroom. It was where the young girl who lived there had died. I was in the bathroom doing an EVP session with my cousin and felt a light touch on my arm. I immediately asked for whoever was there, assuming it was a girl, to do it again. This time, I felt the same soft touch, but it then seemed to pierce my arm. I felt a chill that was unlike anything I'd ever experienced before. It was just different. It wasn't just on the surface of my arm, but literally inside it. I had heard of people explaining that type of sensation before, but always thought that they were crazy. And it was just a chill that they were over-exaggerating. It's not the case, though. I was a little scared at this point because I had never had this type of interaction before. That entire night brought on evidence that I really wasn't prepared for. I'd always had an open mind, like I said, but believing in it and being part of it are two extremely different things. The museum is now closed, and the house is a private residence, which is a bummer because I had made it a stop on every trip I took to Gettysburg. Hope you all enjoy my experience, and I'm looking forward to any feedback that might come in. Thank you guys for the show. It's great. I was so bummed to hear that that's not open anymore because I was hoping we could go there someday. That'd be a fun uh, little uh, stop for the kids. That might be a kidless trip. (laughs) Or it might be once they're old enough that they've studied Gettysburg. Sure, where they can kind of understand a little bit more about what's going on there. Yeah. Yeah. Or understand what we do. So when mom starts weirding out because of the battlefield ghost, then they get it. Well, they get it when we go to Walmart. I don't get weirded out at Walmart. <laughs> um, it'd be really uh, interesting. and it's, Again, he kind of brought up something that um, I don't want to say I want to experience for myself, but it, it does make you wonder or that feeling that he talked about where mm-hmm. it, like the piercing feeling where it's like a you, know, you can only assume it's like a chill or something until you actually feel it. And I'm not inviting this in and saying, hey, I want to feel this. I'm just saying it's intriguing. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Without being like an ass about it, like, I really want that to happen to me because I don't. No. No. It's one of those things that you can only understand if you do experience it. Sure. You know, there's only so many ways to describe it. Kind of like the shadow people being blacker than black. Yeah, You don't really know how black that is until you've seen it. I don't want to see it, but uh, again, very intriguing. Uh, 855-853-4802. That's the phone number to call into Real Ghost Stories Online. Hi, you're uh, on the air. Hey, Tony. Hey, Jenny. This is Scott in Portland again. There was a story about the kid in the car. Uh, the lady had a kid, and he kept seeing something outside the car and kept asking about it. Well, uh, <clears throat> part of what I wanted to share was 
something that happened. Well, well, you guys mentioned, like, it's weird when little kids do that sort of thing because they do that a lot. Well, I have twin nephews. And so what I wanted to share was that um, I've experienced that with my nephews as well. But the interesting thing with them is that there is that thing about, you know, making stuff up where a kid might be imagining that they're seeing something. And so there's that thing uh, that, that was mentioned before. But with my nephews, because there's two of them, it's really weird when they, this happens. Um, I'm going to share this story and then I have another story to share too. But anyway, they will, uh, when they were younger, especially when they were fairly newbornish, they would, we'd be playing with them or we'd be talking to them, doing normal stuff you do with, you know, babies, small children. They couldn't speak at the time. They were just little toddlers kind of rolling around the floor. And one of the interesting things that would happen is that one of them would suddenly, like, it didn't matter which one, one of them would suddenly stop whatever he was doing and, like, look up and, like, look in the corner of the room or something. And then the other one would immediately do the same thing. And it wasn't like they were playing a game with each other. It was like one would look and then the other would look like half a second later. And they would all stare in the corner for a minute or whatever and then they would all flip back and go back to whatever they were doing. And we started noticing that they did this a lot. Um, and the, it's like with, with one child, you know, you can sort of like when my cousins were around or when my cousins were born and stuff, we, we would see that happen with the younger kid. When one kid does it, you don't really think anything. Well, you kind of do you Maybe they saw something. But when it's two and they both do it at the same time, you kind of go, that's, that's really weird. Especially when they're not like sitting next to each other. When one is sitting on one side of the room playing with like little toys and the other's on the other side of the room sitting on somebody's lap and then they both will look in the corner, the same corner. It's pretty spooky. So anyway, I wanted to add that to the story of kids noticing weird things because my nephews are interesting. They'll also randomly say things, and they used to, they stopped recently, but they used to also, like, talk to something in their closet, or so it seemed like they would run into their room and then say something and and talk for a minute and then run back out. And, you know, we thought it was a game for a while, but they would both do it. Um, And some, so, I don't know, can't really explain that one, because we never found out what they were doing or why they were doing it, but. They would. We have a, a camera in the room, actually, sort of like paranormal activity style that watches them. We've never seen anything on it, so at least there's that. That's a good thing. Um, anyway, there was a story that I want to share with you guys, besides my nephews, uh, and that was a story about my sister. It's really short. It's me and my sister, and we used to fight a lot as kids, you know, siblings do that. Well, there was this this time when we were fighting, we were, let's see, I was, uh, I want to say that I was like 16. Yeah, I was like 16 and my sister was, she's like three years younger, so she was like 13. And we were, we were just sitting there in the living room by the computer. And my sister was apparently, I think she was chatting with somebody because I think it was a chat program. I'm fairly certain. Anyway, this is back in the days of, you know, older computers, things that didn't have, like, voice recognition software. Uh, you know, like, we had a big, bulky screen, like, the keyboard that was white, and, like, the, the keys were 
clickety clackety because they were they just were whatever came with the tower. Um, you know, and the mouse and it was like everything was attached. You know, uh, and so like that kind of thing, like the old school stuff. I mean, I'm not saying this was like you know the 80s or something. Uh, this was this was 2000. So you know, a while ago. But voice recognition software was not that prevalent around that time. Um, but it was 2000, and our computer was from like 96, I think. Uh, it was an older, it was a four-year-old computer, which was you know ancient in 2000. But anyway, so we were having this fight, and she was chatting with someone, and then I I don't remember who shouted it, but one of us shouted at the other one. I think it was she shouted at me, and she shouted the sentence that completely made sense with our fight, but had nothing to do with the chat she was doing or whatever. But at the time that this show happened, neither of us were actually sitting at the computer. Neither of us were near it. We were both standing away from it, like shouting at each other, like five feet apart, like yelling at each other across the couch, you know, that kind of thing. Well, anyway, she shouted. Uh, yeah, she shouted. And then uh, this is the weird story, the weird part of the story. When she shouted, the sentence that she said appeared on the screen, like in the chat program, and sent as if she had typed that to her friend. And uh, her friend responded with, what? They're like very confused. Um, but so we didn't even notice it because we were fighting. But when her friend responded, there was that sound, you know, the or whatever sound, like little boing sound from response. And when the response came in, she stopped, you know, fighting. She shouted. She turned to look at the thing, see what her friend had said to her, and then just became ashen, just pale white. She's completely gone, and her all of her fight was out of her. It was like there was nothing left. And this was just kind of weird. So I said, well, what? What's going on? And she started shaking, and she pointed at the screen, and I walked over to see the sense on the screen. Uh, and we both were like, okay, that's really weird. Um, really, really weird. Now, my sister sort of wrote it off saying something like, you know, maybe the computer, because uh, we had just bought a microphone for the computer. We hadn't actually installed it properly. We found out years later we had never really installed anything properly in the computer. So, like, you know, we had a video camera that never worked, and we had a microphone that never worked. It's because we never installed the software. Like, the, the, the microphone was physically plugged into the computer for sure, but there was no software installed. So, you know, there's that. But my sister sort of wrote it off as maybe the microphone picked up what we were saying or whatever and accidentally wrote it in, and so that's what happened. Um, because that was my sister, and it wasn't until the thing with my great-grandmother that she started thinking maybe something else was up. But I thought something else was up. But I can't explain it. I don't know. But it's really creepy. So, anyway, that's it. It's really short today. Uh, I want to share it to you guys. Um, that's those stories. So, anyway, keep up the good show. I love it, and I enjoy being an EVP. So, see you later. Thanks for calling in and sharing your stories with us uh, today. It's, uh, 
It's interesting because, uh, yeah, back in those days, I was wondering why he was going on so long about the age of his computer, but it really did play into the story quite a bit. He was really, he was overly stressing something, and I tend to do that a lot, too. I'll repeat myself 20 <laughs> times over. But it was perfect. When, when it's a key point. Yeah. yeah, it was perfectly normal. I mean, yeah. it was it was a key part of the story. Yeah, it's not just something to brush over. So I totally, I do the exact same thing he does, where it's, I just say the same thing 42 times in different ways, <laughs> just so people understand really how important that part of the story is. But yeah, he's exactly right. At that point in time, I mean, hell, I mean, a lot of, there's decent voice recognition now, but it's, it's not, uh, it's still, it takes a couple tweaks to get it going on your computer. It's not usually just readily running. And if it wasn't doing that at any other point in time on the computer, except for that one second. And at that point in time, voice recognition on computers was pretty much shit. It existed. Yeah. But it was shit. It was horror. I remember trying to use it and it was a joke. It was like bad lip reading. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, I love bad. You could almost just like if you've ever um there's actually a way on YouTube and I don't know exactly how to access this. I, I did it a, a while back um where you can turn closed captioning on. And for those YouTubers out there who who do have like all day to transcribe their videos, which I don't know who does. Um you can actually, you know, put correct uh, closed captioning up there um, or you can have YouTube try and decipher what you are saying and put closed captioning up now that's fun <laughs> because it will say some crazy shit and it's gotten a little better over the years um, of course you're relying on speak people speaking completely clearly at all points in time but uh, it is rather amusing just turning on closed captioning on YouTube and seeing what it thinks is being said that's funny. It's, it's especially uh, with some of the cooking videos I used to do, um, what it would like suggest I was putting in food and it's like, <laughs> oh, like, no. it's like arsenic came up a few times. And oh, no. <laughs> it's like, I hope nobody's like watching this solely on closed captioning, thinking that they should actually follow that part. For the- wow. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it'll do it to anything really, but it's, uh, it is indeed entertaining. What I mean, as far as how those, uh, those words got on the screen. Do you think it was just kind of like a freak burst of energy type thing that kind of put it there? No. Or I think it was something in the house saying, you know, trying to teach them a lesson about fighting. Like, would you want everybody else to know what you were saying? Like a parental ghost. Almost. In some way, shape or form. Yeah. Okay. I could, I could buy into that. Yeah, very interesting. And, and I mean, obviously, he has some stories of some hauntings around his life. So mm-hmm. yeah. I could see that being the case. Bob writes in, I was a member of the Army National Guard in New York in 2001. After 9-11, my team and I were rotated to different ports of entry on the border with Canada. We were directed to go to uh, Messina, New York, which uh, is in the extreme northern, northern part of the state. And for all intents and purposes, in the middle of nowhere. Okay. I will continue on the story in one second, but here's a phrase, and I just realized a figure of speech, or uh, I don't know if it's figure of speech is correct. Um, uh, way I've been saying something is not how it's supposed to be said. Are you sure? Are you sure we, it's not typed in there properly? Intense and purposes. I thought it was intensive purposes. I did too. <laughs> okay, well, I'm just dumb. Like so that. I'm not the only one. No, but... I left it because I wasn't positive. I believe intents and purposes makes a lot more 
logical sense than intensive purposes. Yeah, I just always say it wrong. I was been an idiot for the last 30 some years. I'm right there with you. <laughs> I don't feel so stupid now. So there you go. We learned something new today. Intents and purposes. Uh, anyone else out there feels just as stupid? Uh, continue, continuing on. It's one of those where you say it so quickly that you never really, you know, and it's rarely written out. <laughs> it's like toe to so. It, well, it, it is. It, it, well, not <laughs> quite, but I mean, I, I, I rarely and ever, and I write tons of emails every day. I'm never really writing intense or intensive purposes in a sentence. It's just, it's more of a vernacular thing when you're physically speaking to someone than it is something you're writing in a letter to someone in most cases. Ooh, I, I hope I've never done that. I don't know. I'm sure I have at some point. But. Okay. Yeah. I bet you they didn't know. The Probably not. Either. No. Yeah. Anyway, continuing. I think it was my first and maybe my last time there. When we showed up at our hotel, we found out that our reservations were screwed up and we had to find our own lodging. Our commander, a young female lieutenant whose reservation was also missing, told us we could stay wherever we wanted for the week. We drove down the road and found the Hillside Motel, an older two-story motel with all the doors all exposed to the outside. My two co-workers, Marissa and Bruce, and I received three rooms next to each other on the second floor with my room in the middle. Shortly after we started unpacking, Marissa came into my room and started complaining about the noise upstairs. I stopped and listened, but we heard nothing in my room. After a minute, Bruce walked in and also complained about the noise upstairs. They both described music and a party kind of sound. Still, my room was silent, so we decided to hang out in my room. After a while, we ordered some Italian food for delivery. Bruce and I decided to go down the road to, gas, to the gas station and get some beer and gas. When we first got in the van, I looked at the motel and upped in our room, and I asked Bruce, Didn't you say you heard noise upstairs? Yeah, he answered. Bruce, we're on the second floor. His face turned white, and he acted really startled. I didn't expect him to get that upset. I wasn't thinking paranormal, just matter of fact. While pumping gas, I thought I heard a man say, Hey! in my ear. No one was there, but I could have been wind-carrying sound. Anyway, we went back to the motel. By now, the sun had fully set. We pulled in the motel parking lot, looked up, and saw the delivery guy outside my door. Standing next to him was Marissa. When we had left, she was wearing a blue t-shirt and purple shorts. Now she was wearing jeans and a blue hooded sweatshirt. I thought in my head, huh, Marissa must have changed. Just then Bruce said, huh, Marissa must have changed. And I thought the coincidence was funny. At this point, we were only 25 yards or so away, looking up at the door to the motel room. We got out, passed the delivery guy on our way up the stairs. We walked into the hotel room. Marissa was sitting on the bed with the Italian food. She was once again wearing her blue t-shirt and purple shorts. I looked at Bruce, he looked at me, and he looked like he wanted to cry. Did you just change? I asked. She snickered at the weird question. No. I asked, where did that girl go? What girl? She asked. The girl had been standing side by side with the delivery guy in the doorway, impossible to not be noticed. To my knowledge, there was no way to get down from the second floor without coming down the stairs. I called the front desk and told them that I was one of the army people staying at the motel, and I wasn't trying to play around, but I asked if anything strange had been reported at the motel. No, click was my response. Although we were uneasy, we calmed down and eventually started to have fun with it. Everyone slept in my room. The next morning we were still joking about it when the lieutenant came storming out of her downstairs room. We're leaving. We're going back to the other hotel, Bruce objected. You said we didn't have to. 
but she just started packing her car. They turned to me to do something, but all I said was, I think the ghost visited her, visited her too. We all laughed and packed our things. Okay, it makes you wonder if that motel ever had had a third floor. With a noise up there? Yeah. Yeah. That's weird. I mean, most of what we talk about on the show is weird. It's just that one I don't get. That one... You know, although, I mean, in some cases you can have it, in some cases it is difficult to tell the direction noise is coming from in a hotel. Up, down, I mean, unless it's very, very prominent. Yeah, but these two rooms are right beside each other. I would think if it'd be to the other side of one of the rooms, then that second room wouldn't have heard it. I don't know. I don't know. I wonder what, it's an interesting response they got from the front desk. No, click. (laughs) Yeah. I would have at least messed with him a little bit if I was at the front desk. Like, oh, did you find blood? Is there bodies? <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell anyone. 855-853-4802 is our phone number. Hi. Hello. My name is Jesus DeLeon. I'd like to call about a story that happened to me when I was a kid. Um, basically, um, me and my mom kind of, and my two brothers, lived in a uh, condominium. And... Um, this particular building uh, could house four families, right? Um, one in each corner. And my family had a living space with kitchen, living room, and everything, and a few rooms at the top um, left-handed corner. And my room was situated in front of a house that I, I that um, was kind of blocking my window. I, I couldn't see much outside of my window. Because the wall from that uh, tall house was kind of blocking it. And um, one night I kind of went to sleep. And I had a really weird dream where um, it was kind of dark in my room. And uh, I felt a presence in my, in my door. So I didn't want to leave. I kind of just wanted to wait it out until whatever was there left. I didn't want to go outside because uh, whatever was out there was kind of spooking me. I could just feel its presence. And I kind of just wanted to hang out in my room. And then I noticed a uh, telescope by my window. And for some reason, I decided to look outside, expecting to see this uh, house that would block my, my window view. So I, I just, normally I couldn't see much, only this time in my dream, I could see a very vast city. And I used the telescope to, to see out into the city, and I saw an old lady there, um, which is strange, because out of the millions of things that um, I was looking at, uh, the only person that I saw was this uh, old lady, for some reason, even though I needed a telescope to see that far away, she seemed to be looking at me, and eventually she um, she uh, just pointed at me, smiled, I know it's kind of cliche, but this is a in my dream, and, and I know it's, at first you might be thinking, dreams don't count as ghost stories, but it gets worse, but so let me just finish my, um, not worse, but more interesting, I should say. Um, so let me just finish uh, the, the dream really quickly. Um, so she looks up at me, and even though I need a telescope to see that far away, she looks right at me, and points at me, and smiles, and then she uh, just bolts to the left, or bolts to the side, I, oh, I don't know. She's gone out of view, and I, I'm kind of freaked out. I'm like, well, how the, how the heck does this person even see me? Um, 
So I'm looking for her frantically, and I see her um, basically running outside, out in the streets. And she's running fast. I can't even see her limbs. Uh, they're basically a blur. And she's still pointing at me as she's running. And uh, and I'm, I'm frantic at this point because I'm, I'm trying to keep up with her. And she's like running behind buildings, jumping up and down and moving around. And she's getting closer to me. And her, like I said, her limbs, her feet were a blur. I mean, she was running fast. And eventually she, uh, she kind of gets really, really close. And uh, that's when the dream ends. And I'm like, okay, well, that's, uh, that's a weird dream. Kind of freaked me out. I woke up like at 2 or 3 a.m. in the morning. The cold sweat. My eyes were still on. <laughs> and I, I, I go over to my window and I close the, uh, the curtains. And I figured, okay, well, this is a weird dream. I normally don't have dreams, but when I do, uh, I like writing it down. So I wrote this one down. And I just kept it somewhere. And years later, uh, I want to say, uh, when this happened, I was about 12 or 13 years old, by the way. And years later, uh, I'm talking about um, 18, 19 years old. I'm already entering, you know? And I guess at this point, or okay, maybe not 18, 19. Uh, around the time, creepy pastas are kind of getting um, a little popular, you know, this demand for uh, ghost stories and this demand for uh, urban legends and such just kind of popping up. And I'm on uh, I'm on Funny Junk, which is a website that posts uh, these uh, funny images and allows people to comment. And and I saw something posted by a guy. I, I wasn't I, I I really didn't know how to save the whole page or whatever. But I did save the picture he posted. He posted a, basically like a, a cartoon um, of the dream I had, but. It was creepy because it was the exact dream I had, only with slight variations. And the cartoon that he had, I don't know if he himself drew it. I didn't make any attempt to contact him, and I don't know who, if it's even his uh, work, but it's eerily similar. It starts out with some kid. He's um, he's in, an ex- in an expensive city, only he doesn't look out the window. He's like by a door that has a window on it, and he's looking through it with a telescope and he sees an old lady pointing at him and this is where it gets kind of in way even more different from my dreams slightly though in in his uh, depiction in his rendering in his rendering of uh, of that uh, uh, dream that I guess he had the old lady already has a kid in her grasp she's holding a kid and she's pointing at him <clears throat> And she's pointing directly at the, the new kid, the one on the telescope. And then the same thing happens. She bolts to the side, and she starts running really fast toward him. And eventually she reaches him. And this is where it gets kind of different. For me, I didn't try to leave because the presence was at my door. I'm not sure what it was. But in his depiction, um, he actually just managed to get away right as the lady was breaking into the, the room. And uh, the last slot is him basically going insane. His head is kind of crooked. He's got a weird, demented smile on his face. And his head is tilted to the side um, and all that. So I'm thinking this is kind of strange because um, this guy had a very, 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 very similar dream to mine. 
or something, you know, because strange. I mean, the variations that he had. I mean, sometimes I wonder if, you know, the the kid that she had in in this cartoon depiction, if it could have been me. I mean, if I hadn't woken up soon, what if I had stayed awake and she had gotten to me? You know, maybe, I don't know, maybe this dream is more prevalent than I, I, I thought. You know, I, I certainly haven't bumped into anyone who's had this dream. It's not a common dream. I don't think of, a, of um, having a telescope or a looking glass of some sort and, and looking around in a city type environment and look and see a lady staring back at you from very far away with uh, that runs insanely fast towards you after you spot her with a uh, with a looking glass or whatever. So, I mean, that's just my story. Um, if it's creepy or not, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, it, it is a strange coincidence, a really strange coincidence, I think. Um, so, there it is. Hope you enjoy. You know, th- to me, that almost sounds like urban legend-ish, like there's some kind of basis to the cartoon people would understand if they'd heard it um i'm not familiar with it but i i i guess without seeing it i can't really make a whole lot of sense of the point of the cartoon are you thinking like maybe he had seen this without really being super cognizant of it and then it kind of just came back to him in his subconscious in the dream a couple years later he sees a cartoon and thinks it's the first time he's seeing it no, no, I don't think so. Because I could see that being, if it is indeed an urban legend area, I could see that have been the, if we're going to talk about a logical process for this, mm-hmm. I could see that being the logical thing. I mean, there's tons of things we absorb every day. We have no idea what the hell we're absorbing. Sure. And then it can pop up weirdly, but. No, I mean, I could see that being an op, you know, an option as to why this stuck with him. But no, I was thinking more so i I guess without seeing that cartoon, Mm -hmm. I don't really understand the point of it. And so that's why I think maybe it has something to do with people that have dreamt something like that before, seen something like that to where I guess there's an audience that would get it. And he just happened to have that same type of dream. But what's what's there to get? That's the thing. Right. I'm not in the loop on that. I wonder, I mean, is he meant to get something out of this? Is he, is it a foretelling of something? Is it, I don't know. It'd be interesting to hear if anyone else out there has had a similar dream to this. The only other thing that comes to mind is like the old Hague type thing where a lot of people, you know, claim to see the same thing over and over. But this is pretty finite as far as what's going on event-wise right. in a dream. That's why I almost go back to kind of the takeoff of what you said where is this originally like an urban legend story he absorbed it somehow without knowing it um drumped it and then sees you know the essentially the reiteration of what he had already absorbed but was unaware of absorbing it previously i could see that i don't know it's interesting we should uh anybody who have any insight on that feel free to uh pop up on the message board or something and weigh in on that all right, I'm going to go have some NyQuil. I'm going to go have some uh, Mucinex and uh, cake. Yeah. Because <laughs> we have cake. <laughs> Hopefully the uh, NyQuil and stuff doesn't kick in before I get to the cake because that uh, I'm going to be kind of sitting off in the corner. <laughs> cake falling off. It'll be like a flash into the future. Yeah. Without the pudding, pull, without before pudding poltergeist, the step before pudding poltergeist, we have to literally feed me cake too. There you go. So there you go. 
Sorry for my uh, my voice today, folks. Hopefully, I'll be back to uh, to to closer to normal tomorrow. <laughs> if not, uh, we have a cat and a dog that will do the show. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, for Jenny Bruski, I'm Tony Bruski. Thanks for listening to Real Ghost Stories Online.